Hey everyone, I'm Nicole Demery. And I'm Ashton Demery. And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study, where two former Christians take a second look at what the Bible taught us growing up. Yeah, so this will be sort of a critical analysis of the stories and messages of the Bible and all of the religions that are based on it. I'm also really interested in looking at the secular political interests of the writers and influence of the Bible and how that all plays into this. And we're going to be looking a lot at the historical inaccuracies and inconsistencies throughout the Bible to break down this idea that the Bible was inerrant and divinely inspired. And we're also going to be doing a wee bit of shit talking, mostly for therapeutic reasons. Yeah, this is our atheist safe space to avoid ruining family <laughs> dinners. Um, and speaking of that, before we get into like talking about what edition we chose to read, uh, we just want to make it like super clear that this is not an attack on individuals, but the religion itself, and more importantly, the Bible. Right. We think it's really important to respect and treat people fairly in general, but we don't think that ideas are ever deserving of any kind of special respect. So it's just if you avoid talking about things just because people identify closely with those beliefs, we're not going to really be able to grow or learn or change anything. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, let's talk about what edition we chose to read because we really dive into some of the way things are worded and that can get kind of complicated because there are like so many editions of the Bible all with varying wordings. Right, so there were three main versions that I researched. Those were the King James Version, the New International Version, NIV, and the New Revised Standard Version, NRSV. The King James Version was the first widely distributed Bible. It was translated in 1611, mostly translated by one individual. And since then, it's been mostly unchanged. For that reason, it's really widely owned. Uh, probably this is the one that your grandparents own and use. Mm -hmm. And it has a really loyal following um, among the those who use it. Yeah, because it was the first ever made for the people. Because before that, Bibles were mostly for only like holy men to read from, like priests and such. So this was the first one where anybody could get their hands on this and read it. And since it's so old, people just think that that makes it closer to what it should be, even though it's still relatively far from the actual events that happened. Because like you said, it was made or produced in 1611. Right. For the New International Version, that one was translated in 1978. It was translated by 15 evangelical scholars based on the Alexandrian uh, textual manuscripts. And... It generally prefers a interpretation, a translation that is friendly to evangelical ideas. That's the one you'll commonly see in Protestant bookstores or if your church has a store where they sell Bibles or distribute them. Yeah, and so that's why we didn't want to choose that one is even though it was translated by scholars and it is like a fairly newer version, it there seemed to be some bias there towards the evangelical viewpoint. Yeah, and some obscuring of possibly what the original texts were actually saying. Mm -hmm. uh, the last one is the NRSV version. That's the one we chose to use. It was translated in 1989 by a multi-faith group of translators, included Protestants, Catholics, Orthodox Christians, as well as Jews. Um, and it's generally preferred by biblical scholars 
and is also based on the Alexandrian text. It also attempts to use gender-neutral language, uh, for example, using person or people instead of man when man was intended to mean person or people. Yeah, like mankind. Yeah, we're here for that. Right, and this has been pretty heavily criticized by the Catholic Church as well as uh, different Protestant denominations as well. Some of them really don't like that. Mm. All right, so we start with the creation story, the one that everybody knows. In the beginning, God created the uh, heavens and the earth and so on. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess to summarize the story, God creates the world in seven days. He starts by creating uh, the earth itself and the heavens, and then he creates day and night, and then later creates the sun, which doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he creates the waters and the animals, and he creates people. And then interestingly, the story starts over after the seven days. They start again from the beginning and tell the story without breaking it into seven days. But this time in the telling, it's a little bit different. And I have some more to talk about that later, but it is an interesting note that they seem to start the story all over again and tell it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. They do that a lot in the Bible, honestly. Yeah. So there's a lot to be discussed about why that happens. So Adam, uh, in the second telling at least, there's this very uh, personal idea of God creating Adam and sculpting him from clay. He's the first, and then later Eve created from Adam's rib, and Adam names her Eve. Yeah. Like his pet. Yeah, like all the other animals that he rules over. Yeah, I think the main thing that I take issue with in this story is like, and this I used to see this as like a positive thing, And it's that we're taught this so that we believe that humans are on this earth to rule the world. And like we own everything and everything that we do, we have a right to do that to the earth because this was all made for us. So whatever we want to do with it, however we want to fuck it up, like it's ours for us to do. And I mean, there is kind of like this idea where God wants to like take care of things. But I think what really gets the message that gets driven home more than this is our world to take care of it's that this is our world to own and this was made for us and yeah i like after reading like the book ishmael started to like really question that idea for myself and like i don't really view the world that way anymore like i i again i get you know there's obviously something a tiny bit more special about us than other animals and that is just because of our big brains and our communication skills and things like that but i still don't think that that necessarily makes us better than and that we should go around thinking that we it's our right to do what we're doing yeah i think that might be one of the most harmful aspects of genesis um and the old testament it has really created we have modern day with our with the christian right really this universal denial of climate change mm-hmm. and even if they accept it and a disinterest in doing anything about it because this is our earth to do with what we will and it's going to be gone anyways because the revelations are going to, you know, the, the mm-hmm. world's going to end soon and God's going to make it happen. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. When I say Ishmael, I mean like, I'm pretty sure the author is Daniel Quinn. I'm not talking about, because obviously there's a person in the Bible named Ishmael too, but I'm talking about a separate book. Uh, so, Let's move forward to the original sin 
story. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Um, so basically, woman ruined everything for everybody. As always, throughout all the Bible stories. So Eve gets tempted by the serpent to taste the fruit of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, which is the one thing God said that they couldn't do. And so she tries it, realizes it's not that bad, and then gives it to Adam, and Adam tries it, and then they realize that they're naked and that they need to cover up, and then God finds out what happens and then kicks them out. Kind of the message here seems to be, well, one, it's the tree of knowledge. So in seeking knowledge and understanding, we have sinned against God. Yeah, okay, hold on. Obviously, we have a lot to say about that, but I need to backtrack a little bit and go back to before how we mentioned how Eve is created from Adam and it's from his side. And I want to talk about that really briefly because growing up as a woman in the church, you're kind of like always like, so am I less than a man? And they always kind of try to like massage it. So they're like, because I was made from Adam's side and not his foot that I am equal to him because the side somehow makes me makes me equal to him which makes no sense because if I were truly to be equal to Adam we would be made I don't know at the same time and from the same substance so that leads me to a really interesting side story that isn't in this version of the bible it's the story of Lilith she shows up before as like just like a demon woman who Uh, has sex with demons and men and kills babies and pregnant women. And then her story kind of transforms in this um, account. It's called like the Alphabet of Ben Sira. And in that version, which is my favorite, she is made from the clay, the same as Adam. And she sees herself as equal to Adam, which Adam does not like. And basically the story goes is she, when they're having sex, she wants to be on top. And Adam won't let her. He he likes to have her on the bottom and says that she should fulfill her wifely duties and stay on the bottom. And so she gets so fed up with Adam's bullshit that she says, it's basically she says the Lord's name. So she says Yahweh. And then this gives her magical powers because she spoke the word of the Lord, gives her wings that so she can, so she flies like jams out of the Garden of Eden. Then God says she needs to come back or I'm going to kill like a hundred of her babies every single day or something like that. And so basically three angels go after her and she tells them, all right, I won't, I won't kill children as long as they're wearing like my amulet of protection. She's kind of like a feminist icon, if you ask me. (laughs) And she is used as that like later on, like women mostly just kind of look at the fact that you know, she's just someone seeking independence um, and didn't see herself as beneath in man. And so, yeah, that's the origin story of Lilith. And then uh, they were like, well, sorry, well, I guess we'll make you another girl then, Adam. And that's how they make Eve. Fucking punk rock right Isn't there. Isn't that? Oh, yeah. And that is also how some people bridge the connection between the two creation stories is because like he made sorry man and woman that was the first woman that he made and then obviously they messed up and made it too much of an independent woman and had to make eve the next time yeah yeah and so anyways i guess what i'm really getting at is like no matter how you try to work it the fact that in this version woman is made from man and it's not like her own separate thing it's like that's always going to be used like against women as like a sexist thing like there's really i just don't see how you can like ignore that and like kind of look away from that as seeing it as like oh well because it was from his side that makes you equal like 
now you made as a piece of him and then he named you <laughs> so right and that's not even really what taught in churches is that they're actually equally mm-hmm. spin it a different way but moving back to wait wait, wait. and then i have one more weird thing that i was taught okay <laughs> so i was also taught that because because adam lost a rib or whatever to make eve that like women can do this one thing that man can't and that somehow like proves that the story is real it's like something like so women can like bend their torso like a certain way or something like that and that if you try to get a man to do it then he can't do it and that's because he's like missing that rib or whatever man has the exact same number of ribs (laughs) as women i just want to make that clear for everyone that's a scientific fact i'm pretty sure and they would have us like demonstrate this too and i feel like there were i mean there were boys or yeah i guess i can call them boys at the time because we were young who like couldn't do it and i just feel like it was just because like they just weren't as flexible or something like it was yeah yes (laughs) anyways okay now we can go back to um so the original sin the original story. Sin, yeah. Did you have anything else about that that you wanted to talk about? Oh, about the fact that it's a problem that it's it's Eve who's the one. I mean, I yeah, I think we've that's pretty clear to yeah. everybody what they're trying to say, and that's common in a lot of mythologies. But my favorite line from Genesis so far mm-hmm. is, "Who told you you were naked?" <laughs> Priceless. That's my favorite line. It. It sound, it's like a hostage situation. <laughs> it, it sounds like God just like he had looking. Adam and Eve as his like little naked man and women that I, I don't know what he's doing with these two, but he has them running around watching them. And then they're like, hey, I put some clothes on. He's like, who told you you were naked? <laughs> You've been talking to that serpent, you know? No, yeah. Okay. I mean, I know about this too. It's so weird that. We're taught this story of like God intended for you to be naked, like that is your original form, and it's our like pride or embarrassment or whatever that makes us cover up. But then yet, the religion takes it so so far that we should always be covered up, like women especially. Like you need to cover them titties, like dresses past your knees, you know. Not all churches, you know, but like that is kind of the thing that is taught to women is like you need to be conservative, like cover yourself up for the Lord. But like the Lord wanted us naked. Yeah, it's that's another one of those things. It's that so weird how that just can't got really quite mesh those things together. It's yeah. confusing. That's like all of the Bible. There's so many things that it's like you said this, but now you're saying this. Yep. Another line that I think is really interesting, I wanna hear what you thought about it. Mm-hmm. In God's discussion of the punishment for man and women for eating of the fruit. He tells Eve that she will have more pain in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her that your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Yeah. And for the husband, because you listened to your wife. Right? Yeah. That's the end of that line is because you listened to your wife. What do you think about all of that? Right. So basically that you're, what they're trying to say is, man, if you listen to your wife, rather than to God, then you're going to be punished for that. And then the other thing they're trying to say is like some kind of like origin story, like some kind of like, you know, what myths do. I mean, the whole Bible is a myth, but to explain why women have a hard time giving children, which like, it's not that really hard to understand why women have a painful experience giving birth to 
children because we have fat heads that have to come out of a tiny hole. And like, I don't, I'm trying to imagine. So say we didn't do that and Eve has her first child in the Garden of Eden. So her childbirth is going to look different. Like, does her vagina just get so huge that they can just reach inside and pull? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just such a weird way to be like, you know why it hurts when you have a kid? Because you done fucked up. (laughs) And sorry. Yeah, I guess like. This is just like the start to this whole like propaganda against women that we need to be like beneath men and. We should just look to our guys to lead us and show us the way. Yeah. The line about your desire shall be for your husband. How do you interpret the word desire in that sense? Like you only, what do you mean? Like you only want to have sex with your husband? That, that's, is that how you understand yeah, it? I guess that's, yeah, okay. sorry. Uh, that's what I, I was, I thought that was a weird line. Yeah. And I was trying to make sense of it. So I did some research on this and some people do interpret it that way. They they understand it as a sexual desire mm-hmm. uh, for her husband, but that results in the pain of birth. But the more common understanding of this, from what I found, is that word desire is not meant to be about sex at all. Okay. The word desire, because a sexual desire for your husband generally considered to be a good thing and wanting to have children, that's a good thing yeah. generally in most religious faiths. The word desire here. It's very similar to the use of the word desire later on in a Cain and Abel story. So God says to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So it's sort of this animalistic, sin wants you. It wants to get you. Mm-hmm. And most of them interpret the other desire, using that phrasing from Cain and Abel to try to understand it as being, she desires for his position. The woman wants uh, to be man's equal, wants to be able to rule the household as well, wants to have all of what man has. And that is a sin to desire after the man's position. Fuckers. And for man's part, his new sinful nature that is added to him is that instead of being a benevolent ruler he will now try to be controlling and a sort of brute as a man instead of this nice benevolent but still in charge man oh my god i hate them for that because they basically like wrote it in so be like yeah i get i get that you want to be equal to me that it's in the bible that that's what you want but you can't yeah it's very explicit so and that's not just me as an atheist putting spin to try to interpret it the worst way possible. That is, when I was looking into it, the most common understanding of what that line means by both Christians and Jews. Yeah, man. I mean, we're going to have to do a whole episode on, like, things that made us, like, what actually turned our head away from religion. But, God, add that one to the books for me. (laughs) All right, let's get out of Eden. Okay. So they get kicked out of Eden for all that. And where do we go next? We go to Cain and Abel. So they have, so they, Adam knows his wife. And um, they have Cain and Abel. So Cain is a farmer. Abel is a shepherd. And they both make an offering of like what they do to God. So Cain gives um, some stuff from his farm and Abel gives one of his 
sheeps. And God really likes Abel's, and he tells Cain to fuck off, that he doesn't want his plants. So Cain gets really upset about this, kills his brother over it. And this is, this is my favorite part of the line in the Bible, is when God asks the our all-seeing God, you know, our omniscient God asks Cain, hey, like, where is your brother? What have you done to him? And Cain says to God, bitch, do I look like my brother's keeper? <laughs> One of the most quotable lines in the Bible. <laughs> That's a direct, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so then God curses Cain, banishes him, but he also makes it um, a rule where if anybody kills Cain, that he'll be doubly cursed or seven, sevenfoldly cursed, which brings up a lot of questions, you know, because... Who is Cain so afraid of killing him? Like the only people we know exist are Adam and Eve and then their two sons. Those are the only mention in the Bible of like people that God has created. But now Cain is all of a sudden worried that if he's banished that people are going to hunt him. And so I did some digging for once. (laughs) Hell yeah. And I found that some people think that um, Adam and Eve did have other children before Cain and Abel. They just weren't of any notable mention like nothing really happened to them and Cain and Abel were the first who had like a significant story to tell so they just like didn't talk about those older brother and sisters and then that also kind of answers this question is like later on it goes into like Cain finds a wife and they go into their lineage and everything and that's another thing is like who did Cain marry like they just go through this lineage they had a wife and then they had a wife and then occasionally they'll be like and their wife's name was this but there is no reason for us to understand like where these other people are coming from. Yeah. My only comment that I had on the Cain and Abel story is God's command slash prophecy about essentially she, uh, maybe <laughs> God essentially tells Cain that he will be a wanderer and not have a home. Right. That's sort of the prophecy mm. or the command that he is to leave garden well they're not in the garden of eden anymore but he is to leave and he is to wander the desert forever and then it goes on to say that cain essentially founds a village right? mm-hmm. he marries he settles in yeah. has land and he's got a whole people that are birthed from cain so it doesn't really make any sense either cain rejected god's commandment or god's prophecy didn't come true um that that was strange that's all i really had to say about it yeah so ishmael also addresses this story and he uses this idea of takers and leavers to kind of explain it so takers are people who till the land and farm and leavers are people who don't do that they leave the land alone so in this story cain represents takers and abel represents leavers okay and this is actually a lever story. So the levers use this as an explanation for why the other group of people, the takers, are killing them. So they explain it as the takers who are descendant, who think they are descendants of Adam and Eve. And they think that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of good and evil. And so that they now know the difference between good and evil. They have God's knowledge of what is good and what is evil. Right. So therefore, whatever they do, whatever they deem good is actually good. 
And also, they think that they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, where everything was just given to them. And so now they're cursed to this life where they have to till the land and fend for themselves. So the takers are farmers who think that they know everything and that whatever they do is good. And so that's how the leavers explain why the takers are killing them because the takers think that they have a right to the land and that if these people are there, they can just kill them and it doesn't mean anything to them because they have the knowledge of God. So from Ishmael's perspective, is this like a lever story, but it somehow just slipped its way into the taker's history? Yeah, so they go into that in the book. Um, So it's a lever story that was eventually appropriated by the takers because they didn't successfully kill off all the levers. And so their story stuck around um, and circulated until eventually like the takers took it as their own. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and then another interesting thing, too, is it's also theorized that the mark of Cain is um, white skin. So anybody with white skin was um, to be seen as, like, that was like a warning sign to the leavers to stay away from people with white skin because they're takers and they're going to kill you for your land. Mm, okay. Yeah, makes sense when you put it like that, huh? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because it, does seem to counter what my intuition would would say. I, I guess the common intuition is that the Bible and Christianity are very closely associated with agriculture and farming, mm-hmm. and this is sort of the opposite of that. Right. That's why when I read this initial, it totally blew my mind because it made everything make a little more sense when you think about it as this isn't actually one of our stories. This is someone else's story, and we just did a really bad job of making it our own. Mm. But yeah. Also, if you got really confused listening to that, uh, I encourage you to read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. They do a much better job of explaining it. I basically condense several pages into two or three minutes. <laughs> um, so, only other thing I had of note from the sort of after Eden segment of the Bible is uh, Nephilim. You remember that word? The Nephilim roamed the world? Yes. Okay. So, the Nephilim says here, uh, Genesis 6, 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, these were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. So essentially angels had sex with women on earth Mm -hmm. and they created angel-human crossbreeds known as Nephilim. And further it says that these were the heroes of old. I mean, that's, that's mythology. That's like, yeah, that they're seems demigods. straight up out of, like, other religions. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, this is Hercules. Like, and they say, like, these are our heroes of old. Right. That's every Greek mythology. You know, like, that's, like... Right, which all came later than this. But it does sort of reinforce this idea that these... Christianity and Islam and Judaism, which are seen as very distinct from a lot of these mythologies, still had a lot of the same ideas. they they're popular ideas for people to come up with, and mm. they tend to be found in almost every religion. But I thought it was really interesting because I don't remember ever learning about that in church. It's not something, it's something that gets skipped over intentionally because it's embarrassing. They don't like the idea of angels having sex with humans because it feels mythological mm-hmm. and also a little bit polytheist. 
Yeah, and like we'll get into this more in like a later story, but something that I started to realize too as we're now reading the Bible again is I thought I knew the Bible backwards and forwards, but there is definitely some stuff that they never talk about. Like maybe we read the passage and then they don't, that's not what the homily is on. Like it's on another thing. Yeah. So we get to Noah and his family and the entire story of the ark. Yeah. And basically the story of Noah and the ark is God doesn't like what's going on at earth. He thinks everybody's evil. So he tells him, he tells one person, Noah, who he likes that he's going to wipe out the earth. And so Noah should build an ark. because he's going to flood the world. And then Noah has to bring like two of each animal onto the boat. So he floods the earth. They're on the ark for a while. Then uh, he sends out a dove to find land and then, rainbows this is how god made rainbows to promise that he was never going to flood the earth ever again all right so here's some kind of like wild out there things that i was taught about the ark itself so there was a videotape that i was shown from my protestant friends not from the catholic friends that dinosaurs were on the ark (laughs) so people were alive when dinosaurs were and another one that i heard was that so one of the big questions is like how did he get one of every single kind of animal that we know today exists? And so like one explanation that was given to me for that was that animals actually evolved on the boat. They were on the boat long enough for like them to evolve into other species. And this is me all going off of like memory. So I may just be like completely misquoting the things that I was taught, but this is what come like, this is what I have retained of the things that were like shown to me in my youth. So yeah, those are just some of the weirder things that I was told about the ark. Yeah, you're going to you have to get pretty creative if you want any of the Bible to make any sense with modern science. Oh, and I also okay, this one I don't know where this one comes from, but this is also something that I have in my head as like a thing, and it might come from the movie that was made off of Noah and the Ark. But I remember Somewhere along the line being told that it was like a rule on the boat. Like if you were on Noah's Ark that you could not have sex while you were on the Ark. I mean, it's not written in Genesis. No, it's not in the one that we read. I just remember that that being a thing. And I have a couple of those where things that like they weren't, they're not in the version that we're reading, but I remember it being a thing and I don't know where it came from. So that's probably from the movie. Probably got that from the movie. It was in the movie. Okay. Christians hate that movie. Yeah. (laughs) So... And we get to naked Noah. Yeah, all I'm right. So <laughs> Do you want me to explain that story? And then yeah. You... Okay. So the story of naked Noah is a doozy. So what happens is Noah get, drinks a lot. He gets really, really drunk, and he passes out naked. Then Ham comes along and sees his father's sees his father naked, leaves and tells his brothers, "Hey, I just saw Dad naked." His brothers come back without looking at Noah. They don't look at him because they're not gay. They cover up their father. No homo, bro. No homo here. They cover up their father without looking at him, and then they leave or whatever. And then Noah wakes up and somehow finds out that Ham saw him naked and gets really pissed about it and curses Ham's son, Canaan, and says that his descendants will be slaves forever discuss so the literal understanding of the story makes no sense as you pointed out how would he know that 
Ham had seen him naked from waking up. It's an extreme punishment for seeing someone naked. Mm-hmm. So a more accurate understanding of that is that you did not just see him naked. Uh, see, I okay. So I saw some things like this, and I was like, I don't even want to go down here. But t- tell me, oh, we're t- going down t- there. Tell me. <laughs> so foreshadowing to Leviticus, the same phrasing is used later in the Old Testament when you're talking about sexual intercourse. Say, saw their nakedness. Oh yeah, that's what that phrase generally meant at the time. It was a common euphemism. Mm-hmm. So most likely, what happened was that. Noah was drunk and asleep, and Ham raped him God, while he was asleep. This is where the story gets interesting, and I credit a lot of this discussion to Rabbi David Frankel at Torah.com, where I found it. The passage says, when Noah saw what his youngest son had done to him. Ham is not Noah's youngest son. Japhet is, in fact, Noah's youngest son. Mm -hmm. He then goes on to say, cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brother. Mm-hmm. And when he goes later to bless Shem and Japhet, explicitly says that Canaan will be a slave to Shem. And Shem is not Canaan's brother. Canaan is Ham's son, Noah's grandson. And Canaan's brother is Egypt. Okay. So, like a lot of, like, did they just like misspeak or? So, it's possible that there was a mistake in the editing that occurred somewhere along the line. But that's like quite a few mistakes, right? Like, that's like. One, calling Ham your youngest son when he's not, and then also saying, uh, like, messing up another relationship, too, in there. Right. So what is believed to have happened, or what Rabbi David Frankel suggests may have happened, is that this was originally a story about Ham and Canaan, and would have occurred later in Genesis when Ham gets introduced. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the lines, it was edited and became a story about Noah and Ham. Okay. If that's the case, it seems you would just make Ham the one to get cursed. Right. But this is kind of where the political interests of the Israelites comes in. Because that telling of the story with Ham and Canaan mm-hmm. would make the Canaanites slaves to Egypt. Okay. In this telling of the story, even though it's about Ham and Noah, if you maintain Canaan the one being cursed, mm-hmm. you make Canaan the slave of Shem. And it's believed that the Israelites are descendants of Shem. Okay. So what the editor was really trying to do here is to maintain the idea that the Canaanites are the God-ordained slaves to the Israelites. The the Israelites are their masters, Mm -hmm. and that is a God-ordained relationship. The other thing that's really interesting is that they also very explicitly say that Shem and Japhet walk backwards with a blanket to avoid looking at Noah which is strange considering the understanding that Noah was raped by Ham. Mm -hmm. So that was likely another edit that took place to sort of make this a little more PC of a story, it seems like. Okay. Make it a little more palatable. So yeah, they didn't like the rape. So like, actually, this is a story about him seeing him, and he really did freak out over him seeing him naked, not because he raped him. Right, which just sort of makes the story read a bit bizarre. Right. That kind of feels like the whole story in itself. It just feels if both of those edits, if it got edited twice to somehow fit a different story, they left so many mistakes behind. It's just so obvious that they changed it. I think that really comes out of this is probably not one editor that did all of this. And 
there were probably some of these things were intentional and some of them were also actual mistakes and other editors didn't know how to sort of make all these mistakes mesh together and left it as it was. Yeah. It's funny too, because either way you look at it, whether you think like it was edited or, or not edited, there's still a ton of mistakes that don't make sense in there. Right. And it should erode your trust in the idea of this book being the, being the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So earlier you mentioned how like this story may have been edited and, and used to explain like why Canaanites were slaves. And we can see in our own American history that this is used for that same purpose again. So in uh, the start of America, when we brought people over um, from Africa to work our farms and do everything for us, this story is used again to explain why black people are slaves. Like it's used by white people to justify why it's okay for us to make black people our slaves. And they, they teach it as the um, black people are descendants from Ham. And so that's why we get to do this, which is super fucked up. And, yeah. I, and I, it bothers me. Our ancestors did that. We did that shit. And people today will say, that's not the Bible's fault. That's, that's man interpreting the Bible in that way and like taking it out of the way it should be used or whatever. You know, that's like always the thing is like religion. My favorite quote from the Da Vinci Code. Religion isn't flawed like man is flawed. Our religion is flawed because man is flawed. And I don't care, like, if you think that's the fault of man. Like, that shit is still in the Bible to be taken that way by somebody. It's saying in the Bible that some people were intended to serve other people and be inferior and be slaves. And if that, like, to a larger point of that is if you can sit there and say that that's fucked up, people shouldn't be, and everybody in America should be saying that, slavery is wrong (laughs) and so if you can sit there and say that nobody should be a slave to another person then you can decide for yourself like morally that's wrong and then why do you need this book to tell you the difference between good and evil if you can pick that out of the book and say like i think this is wrong then then clearly you don't need to be told what is good and bad because you know what is good and bad right it's sort of pick a story because on one hand you have christians saying look a Religion has what it has in it, and then people are going to interpret that however they want and go and do good or evil because they're humans, and that's what they do. But on the other hand, you have them saying, you need religion, you need Christianity in order to have morals. They use whichever one works for them in the, in the given time. discussion. Yeah. All and right. Then- well, I guess that, that's Naked Noah. Mm-hmm. The fun one. Mm-hmm. The next thing that I have here is the Tower of Babel. Yeah. So the Tower of Babel is a story in which the people of all the world, essentially what it's saying, were coming together and building this great city, and they were going to build a tower to the sky so that they could... reach. I I learned it as reach God. Like, they wanted to build a tower to the heavens. Yeah, I, I think I remember, so in the original... Teaching to me as a Christian, it was sort of this idea that they were prideful and they wanted to right. be equals with God. I didn't really get that from the words in Genesis. They wanted to build a great tower for all of the world. And God says, nope, we're going to scramble up your languages so you all speak different languages. And so this is the idea of how the world ends up 
with all kinds of different languages. Uh, in reality, we can track pretty well the evolution of different languages mm-hmm. throughout history. So obviously this isn't it, but... Yeah, again, I think this like further underlines that the, the Bible is a myth, and this is a myth made up to explain something that we didn't understand at the time, which is where language has come from. Yes. But what I, what I like about this story is it, it's kind of playful. <laughs> okay, it's, tell me why. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it just feels like this playful rivalry. Like God, so the quote I have from it is, God looks at them and says, look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And then he scrambles up their languages and uh, makes them all speak different languages. And I don't know, it just feels very much more personal than you see God in other mm-hmm. parts of it. And it's like, oh, these, you know, these rascals trying to build a tower. I'll get them. Um, I'll get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is just weird when you read it. It's just like, why, God? Like, every, like, yeah, nothing will be like, th- impossible to them, and I can't have that. Yeah, to me, it just says God hates teamwork and tall towers. Yep. <laughs> and he loves to be divisive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so th- I got the same message that you did growing up, that this is just supposed to be, because this was punishment for being prideful. Yeah, I didn't have anything else on that. I just thought it was no, a funny was story. Same. So we're moving to all of the stories about Abram. Sarah. So it starts uh, with God. I mean, there's lots of people in the world right now, but God seems to really, really jam with Abram and, and Sarah with an eye. And so he wants to give them all these things. And he says he's going to give them land um, and lots of descendants. I don't know if the descendants part is in there yet. But basically, the first story we hear about them is they go to Egypt and... <laughs> Abram thinks that his wife is so hot that if the Pharaoh knows that that's his wife, that he will kill Abram for his wife. So he says, hey, honey, will you do this favor for me? Will you tell them when we get there that you are my sister? And she goes, okay. So they get there. Everybody thinks she's super hot. Pharaoh is like, sweet, a hot single lady. I will give Abram a ton of gifts for her and I will take her as one of my wives. And then the Pharaoh starts getting like cursed and he doesn't understand why until he finds out it's because Sarah is not a hot single lady. She is a hot married lady. And so I, yeah, when you read this from this version, like I think the, the dialogue is so funny to me. Like he's basically like, dude, why did you do this? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. He's like, I wouldn't have fucking cared if she was your wife. Like, <laughs> and I would have not tried to have sex with her. Yeah, he finds out. He's like, whatever, dude. Like, just get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't care. And then he gets to leave with his wife and all of the gifts that the Pharaoh gave him for his wife. Or, yeah, for his wife. And they just get off scotch-free. Yep. I, that's another, it's another one of those, your omniscient God looked down and he had no idea that the reason Pharaoh was having sex with Sarah was because Abram lied mm-hmm. and decides it looks to me like Pharaoh is the one at fault, right? Mm-hmm. It's either God is omniscient and he knows, but he still thinks Pharaoh is responsible for this or he just doesn't know for some reason yeah. and it doesn't make any sense. It's a bizarre story 
And the moral is, if you pimp out your wife, nothing bad will come of it. Yeah, not for you. <laughs> as long as you are chosen by God. <laughs> as long as you're chosen. Another thing about this, so I, I looked into like, I'm trying to understand what this, what they're trying to say. Why was this included? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose? And some of the things I saw that kind of maybe make sense are it's sort of, whether it happened or not, it's just put in there to make you have a sense for the idea that Egypt was not a God fearing place. Yeah. And they right? kind of these bring are, that up again later. Yeah, well, in another place that don't fear God. And so, uh, Abram can't feel safe bringing his wife in there. He doesn't know what people are going to do. And also sexism because Abram protecting himself is more important than his wife having right. a choice in who she's going to have sex with. Yeah. Okay, so they, they leave Egypt, and they want to have a kid, and they haven't had one yet, and they're both, like, getting up there in years. And both of them, on separate occasions, are, like, told by God or over here that they are going to, God is going to give them a son, and they both kind of, like, laugh at this. Now, I feel like I'm having, like, the Mandela effect happen to me multiple times. Because this is another thing where it wasn't, I didn't see any of it in this version of the Bible. But I definitely remember it being a thing where when Sarah, so they both laugh, but when Sarah is the one who laughs, that God punishes her and doesn't let her like speak or doesn't let her laugh or something until she has the kid. I've never heard of that. But yeah. there, so there's two separate points where Sarah laughs. They both okay. laugh once and then Sarah laughs later. Okay. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I should have looked into it more. I thought maybe you might have heard it too, but. No, I've never heard that. That was something that I learned where I was like, but yeah, but okay, this, no, I did look into it. And then when I looked it up, all the discussion was about how God didn't punish her. Which, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know where I'm getting this shit from, but I definitely remember there being like a thing where it was like, God was like, well, you laughed at me. Now you can't speak until you have the kid. Weird. Yeah. Well, it is possible. I mean, that people just interpret it based on the fact that she doesn't speak again in the Bible until. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, she tells Abram to take her, That's right. That's her slave girl, Hagar. Uh, Hagar. Which to, means, do you know what it means? Hagar means in Egypt? No. It means like stranger. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, so she tells him, take my slave girl, Hagar, mm-hmm. and have a child with Hagar. Go have sex with Hagar, and you can have an heir through Hagar, mm-hmm. and I will consider that my child. And so he does, and then they have Ishmael, and God prophesizes that Ishmael will also be a uh, father of nations. If I remember. Yeah, and I think a thing to note in there too is um, Hagar, once she becomes pregnant, she kind of starts to like look down on Sarah, and Sarah gets really mad about this, Sarah oh, right. with an eye. And she gets super pissed and tells her husband, and her husband, Abram, is just like, whatever, she's a slave, do whatever you want to her. So Sarah beats her, and then ban- and then beats her, no, beats her so bad that then Hagar runs away. And that's when God is like, hey, go back to your master. Your son's going to be, be really, well, he doesn't say he's going to be awesome. He says that he's basically going to fight a bunch of people. He's going to be a really rough child and that everybody he meets, he's going to have problems with, but he will have lots of descendants and rule a nation. Yeah. Okay. I remember that now. Yeah. Okay. That's like maybe my least favorite story. It's just like, it's just a lot of like women again. I, again, this is just, there's just no good 
so far, there is no good female protagonist in the Bible at all. Like, all these women are just like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, we'll do your thing. Like, that's totally cool with me. Like, we'll do that. Yeah. And then in this, it's just, you know, women being jealous of, you know, other women for having kids. And then just doesn't, it's not very compelling to me as a, as a, as a woman listener or reader of this. Yeah. The next thing from this. God says, cut your penis skin and also y'all get new names. Yes. That's okay. So that's where we get into circumcision. Yeah. Where God tells, uh, renames him Abraham. And does he name Sarah again at the same time? Sarah's no longer Sarah with an I. She's Sarah, (laughs) S-A-R-A. Right. So renames them both and makes a covenant with Abraham in which Abraham must circumcise himself and all the men in his house, including Ishmael. Interestingly, not only uh, a thing in the Jewish faith, there's been circumcision practice in African cultures and elsewhere uh, throughout the world as well, but this is the supposed source in the Jewish faith. Yeah, I know you haven't seen this movie, but in the movie Year One, they like they play out the scene and kind of like imagine like what it would be like for all the men to hear Abraham come out. So basically Abraham comes out and says like, Hey everyone, I just got this message from God. We need to cut our dicks up. And everyone's like, what? Why? Like, (laughs) and he's like, I don't know. God says that we need to do this to show our love for him. And then I think that's at the point where like, uh, it's got like Jack, Jack Black and, um, what's the skinny dude's name? Michael Sarah, I think that's when they like dip out of the village at that point oh, when right. everybody starts cutting their penis skin off. Oh, <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I was. I thought this was really interesting. I, I did a lot of research into circumcision after this because it, it's a really weird thing to bring up in the Bible, and it's just such an important thing. To go ahead and circumcise your penis. So I was sort of looking into why what circumcision means. So a couple of things I came up with was. It is sort of a patriarchal thing. It's this, it's only men who do this, right? Mm -hmm. It's a male only covenant with God. Thank God. They symbolize their covenant with God through their penises. Mm -hmm. And going along with that in the Jewish faith, uh, specifically Orthodox Jews, other, not all Jews still practice this, but only a circumcised man can read from the Torah, the oral tradition of the Torah and go up to the front during their services and read. Mm-hmm. Orthodox Jews do not allow uncircumcised men or women to read from the Torah. That would be a an embarrassment. It would hurt the sense of reverence in the room. You okay. had a woman walking up there and speaking in front of it. Yeah. Additionally, there is this idea that they're sacrificing pleasure in the name of their devotion to God because it is true that your foreskin contains a lot of your sensory uh, cells. And like lube too, right? Like, doesn't it help with lubrication? Yeah, it helps with lubrication. Uh, and when you when you circumcise yourself, there is nerve damage that is done, so you will not have the same level of pleasure once you circumcise yourself. And this goes going forward in history. The Greeks were very anti-circumcision. There were Jews among them who circumcised themselves, and the Greeks did not like it so much. In fact, that they at some point made it illegal to circumcise yourself. But they didn't like it for a couple of reasons. One was that it hurt the amount of pleasure you could have during sex. They were really about pleasure. The other was that a man in Greek culture, interestingly enough, is not considered naked 
unless his preface is retracted. I'm not familiar with uncircumcised penises. So are you trying to, does it come out? I know there's like a little, it, it like kind of covers it like a little hood almost. Are you saying that it comes out of that? Yes. Yeah, so a circumcised penis, when a man is erect, he'll come out of that. Additionally, if a man is peeing and he is circumcised, he doesn't need to retract that. Otherwise, he's going to make, it make a mess. mess. Okay. So that goes to like why I was taught that God said to do this and it was for cleanliness. Because apparently if you don't clean it properly, you can get infections and stuff. So the solution for God and people at that time, I guess, was just cut it off and then you don't have to worry about cleaning it. Yeah, that, that is a popular secular understanding of why circumcision is popular in various cultures. Okay. Right. The idea of cleanliness and preventing infection. Okay. So another thing about this is that many Greek or many Jewish boys living in ancient Greece and Rome would try to cover up their circumcision. So you could do this by pulling the preface, the what remains of the foreskin, because the ancient uh, style of circumcision did not remove as much. You could still pull the skin over. Okay. They would pull the skin over and make it look like they had an uncircumcised penis. That allowed them to pers- participate in things like, what's the word for Gymnasia, in which ah, the practice the was Olympics, to be- The Olympics, right? Yeah, the Olympics, or ju- not necessarily like at like, major games but to, to do those kinds of things okay because the practice was to be naked okay so many jewish boys uh would try to cover it up the rabbis did not like this at all <clears throat> so they introduced a new practice called pariah it's a second step in the circumcision it causes significantly more neurological damage uh and it didn't allow there was nothing you could do once once you had this done mm-hmm. there's no way you're covering up your circumcision and i'm going to read a quote from how this occurs Pariah consists of tearing and stripping back the remaining inner mucosal lining of the foreskin from the glands and then, by use of a sharp fingernail or implement, <gasps> removing all of the inner mucosal tissue, including the excising and removal of the frenulum from the underside of the glands. That makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. As a circumcised a man, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> That sounds excruciating, and it does cause, I think I said already, it causes much more nerve damage. It's completely irreversible. Yeah, there is a couple of words in there that I am not familiar with, but I did understand the word fingernail, and that's nasty. Uh, this, the pariah. Wait, so, okay, so what is done today? Are you going to get into that? That's what okay, I was just about to right, go to. Right. Pariah is what is practiced today by most medical circumcisions done in the U.S. and abroad. Now, some discussion on the medical aspects of circumcision. There is some evidence that it can prevent things like urinary tract infections and can help with the spread of HIV. The American Association of Pediatrics states that the benefits are sufficient to, for them to support allowing it as an option in hospitals, but they do not support it being universally practiced on all males. So basically they're saying that like, there are some benefits in general. Their medical opinion would probably be no, what I understand from it. Mm-hmm. But there's enough debate about it that they think that they can have it as an option and let people decide. Also, there's probably some political aspect to that too, because if they make the claim outright that you shouldn't get circumcised, then people are probably going to be very angry. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask you, because if it were me and I grew up and found out that I might be missing out on some extra pleasure that I could be experiencing, but I'm not, 
because of a surgery that was done to me when I was a baby that I had no say in, I would get kind of upset about it. So do you ever like think about that? And how do you feel about being circumcised? Yeah, I, I don't know that I think about it all the time, but when I do it, it does bother me to think that it was probably a decision that didn't have a whole lot of thought put into it. I doubt anybody really thought a lot about the what the ramifications were of it or did any research on it. It was probably just an assumption. This is what's going to happen because this is what everybody does. Yeah, and it's it's weird to think that it is so common because it, it's it's genital mutilation, which is typically seen as kind of a barbaric thing, but it's super commonplace here in America. Yeah, I guess it's just one of those things that it, it's become a tradition and it's no longer questioned. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess that's where we can call it for today. And we'll pick up next time, continuing in Genesis, with more on Abraham and Sarah. Yep. Bye, y'all.